This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey, it's Melissa Rivers, and welcome to Group Text. Stay tuned for a new episode. Welcome to Group Text. I am so excited today. Sabrina, of course, is joining me, and we're getting into something that we love to discuss, conspiracy theories. Joining us is Mick West, who is a science writer, a skeptical investigator, a retired video game programmer. That's a whole separate discussion. And you focus on explaining and investigating conspiracy theories and also sort of more esoteric topics such as UFOs, pseudoscience, flat earth, photoanalysis, all that stuff. So welcome, Mick. Thank you. Thank you for that uh, introduction. That's a good summing up of what I do, I think. Well, one tries. The video game programming is a whole separate thing because I have a 19-year-old who Uh during this quarantine has only played video games. (laughs) So that's been a a big part of my life. But let's talk conspiracy theories because right right. now – it is like a conspiracy buffet. It's crazy. How did you get started in the world of conspiracies? Well, I used to be very interested in kind of esoteric topics that you mentioned earlier, like things like UFOs and ghosts and whatnot. And that kind of morphed over time into an interest in science. And then I got interested in kind of explaining things to people. I also enjoyed explaining things to my brother when I was young, and that's kind of carried on throughout my whole life. And then, you know, I did the video game thing, like I said, uh, like you said, and uh, I retired fairly young from that. And I just kind of- Due to incredible success. Due to incredible success, right? Yeah, kind of. I did the Tony Hawk video game, which was a very big video game in its time. Tony Hawk's Pro Skater. uh, I think we uh, have that one too, just so you know. Yeah, it's getting on a bit now, so it's kind of the older people come around, like the people who come around my house and uh, you know, fix my air conditioning. I tell them what I do, and they go, oh, man, I really enjoyed that one when I was a kid. So it's always a good icebreaker to tell people I did the Tony Hawk thing. But you know, that let me kind of have a bit of freedom in deciding what I wanted to do, and I just kind of enjoyed writing about scientific topics and about strange beliefs and what the truth was behind those beliefs. And so I started writing about the chemtrails conspiracy theory, which is the belief that, you know, these planes are spraying some kind of poisonous substance into the sky behind them. And I started writing about that. And that just kind of led to other things. And I had another website and then I uh, had a a book and then a podcast. And here I am. And here you are with us. Lucky you. Um, But to explain really quickly, because you just mentioned chemtrails, Mm -hmm. that is when people see those lines in the sky. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are just uh, condensation trails is what they actually are. When a plane flies through cold air, the condensation in the exhaust shows up, just like you know, a car on a cold day. Sometimes you see a little cloud behind the car like if you're in a cold location. Up in the high altitude, it's really cold, and sometimes that exhaust forms a cloud, and that makes these contrails. 
But some people have got the idea that that shouldn't actually happen. And they think that what's actually going on is the government is secretly spraying us with something for some purpose, something like changing the weather or changing the climate. Or some people even think they're spraying like some kind of poison or nano robots. There's all kinds of weird, weird theories about it. They even tie it into the coronavirus now, of course. How and why do these theories take hold? I literally, right before all this started, had dinner before Mm. all this with a friend of mine and she's very science-based. The husband's a little bit, I hate to use the word woo-woo, but Mm woo-woo. And their 13-year-old literally sat at dinner with me and was telling me how the government controls the weather. How do these things take hold? Well, it kind of starts out like people looking for explanations for things. People want to explain what's going on around them. And a lot of the times they don't find the explanations given to them by authorities very convincing. If they have some kind of distrust of authority. And once you start going down that road, it kind of becomes very, very easy for you to accept an explanation that's the opposite of the official explanation. So if the government's telling you that the weather is caused by, you know, the sun and the rotation of the earth and the wind and the seasons and stuff like that, but you, you like don't trust the science. government. Yeah, like real science. If you don't trust the government, and if you don't trust science, which is increasingly a thing now, it's very, very easy for someone to come along. They show you a compelling video or a little pamphlet or something, usually a video nowadays, and you think, oh, that sounds good. That explains it, and that fits in my worldview. And so they go with that. And so it spreads amongst the people who are more prone to believing that type of thing. So do you feel that conspiracy beliefs results from a range of psychological, political, and social factors? I think in a way, yes. But there's been a lot of studies done as to what the psychology is behind conspiracy theorists. And they find that a lot of them kind of score higher on certain things. Like a lot of them will have a higher need for uniqueness scale. Like people who want to feel special and unique are a little bit more likely to be conspiracy theorists because it makes them feel special. Like if you know the secret behind 9-11 or the secret behind chemtrails or the secret behind 5G or coronavirus, then you're special. So there are these psychological factors, but really anyone, pretty much anyone can fall for these things. What it really boils down to is being exposed to a set of information without having the other side being presented to you. If you're just listening to one side, it's very easy to kind of fall down that rabbit hole. And once you're in there, there's this kind of uh, cycle of confirmation bias that keeps you stuck in that rabbit hole. Right. It's very much confirmation bias. Yeah, absolutely. But what always amazes me is even after intelligent people get the facts, and I want to get to this with the flat earth people, Mm -hmm. how do they disregard them? Yeah, why do they become so obsessed? Right, and locked onto their belief. Yeah. Well, it's how do you get those facts? If you go outside right now and you look and you try to decide, is the earth flat or is the earth round? You can't tell that just by looking outside your window. Even if you go up in a plane, it still looks pretty flat. So there's a lot of people who think that they shouldn't trust other people. So they shouldn't trust the government to give them information. They have to figure it out for themselves. And they choose to keep in what they call an open mind. And Which this is really not. Ends up it's really not an open mind. That's, that's very true. And I often say that people who 
say they are the most open-minded are often the most close-minded because they have gone completely in the direction. I'm so open-minded, I reject everything on this side and I go for everything on the other side when they really should be having a more balanced view of the world. It's very cult-like. It is very cult-like. And there's lots of parallels between cults and conspiracy theories. Like a cult, of course, usually centers around a charismatic leader, at least at first. Sometimes they develop into more of a belief system. But a conspiracy theory is kind of like a cult without a leader. It's just a set of beliefs and a set of ways of thinking about the world that has a lot in common. And the way you talk to people, if you want to help them, is very similar with talking to people in cults. If you talk to anybody who's a cult expert, they say the most important thing to do with a family member who's in a cult is to keep the lines of communication open because you want to keep them with one foot, one tiny bit of a foot at least, a toehold in reality. Because if they lose that, then they're just completely lost forever. So you keep talking to them. Same thing with conspiracy theorists. You've got to keep talking to them. Don't push them away. You, know, you don't have to believe what they say, but you've got to keep talking to them. What was the first one you debunked, or what was the first conspiracy theory that you really dove into? Mm. Well, it was actually a, not exactly a conspiracy theory. It was a disease label that people had called Morgellons. Where and what, what, what is was, that? Morgellons, it's a label that people give to their symptoms when they don't get a satisfactory a diagnosis from the doctor. And instead of saying, like, I don't know what's causing this, they say, I have something inside me which is causing fibers to come out of my skin and is causing this itching and they will look at their skin and they will see these tiny fibers and then they will go to the doctor and they will say this is what is causing my illness and it's kind of a thing that's been around for a long time it used to be called delusional parasitosis people used to think that they were infested by things but it's something that kind of came of age in the internet era and it spread because of the internet this label of Morgellons came about and all these different people started saying, I've got Morgellons, I've got Morgellons. And then it became a thing where local news stories started doing stories on it and then your internet media. And it grew because of the modern media. And it's kind of like a, an archetype of a lot of conspiracy theories that nowadays come out very, very rapidly and are amplified by the internet. They start out small with a small group of people but because it's so easy to get the information out there. And once it goes viral, for want of a better word, then it's very easy for it to get to a much larger number of people than it used to. So I think the flavor of conspiracies is different now than it used to be, uh, say, you know, 20 years ago. Before the internet age, it took a lot longer for mm -hmm. things to take hold. I mean, the one right off the top of my head is the Kennedy assassination. Yes. Which people still seem to be so fascinated. And no matter what information, you know, becomes available... People are still hell-bent on whatever their beliefs right. were it was, about mm -hmm. that situation. It was the CIA. There was a second shooter, the grass. You know, I mean, people really still are obsessed with that. Yeah, and you think if the flat earth conspiracy theory isn't going to go away, then obviously something like the JFK conspiracy theory isn't going to go away because it's so open to interpretation. You know, all we have really is that he was shot and Lee Harvey Oswald was arrested there. And there was, they claimed there were three shots fired, some people say more. And it's very easy to just get into all the details there and just try to put a different perspective on it. You know, there's over a thousand books written on the JFK assassination and the conspiracy theories around that. So there's this huge amount of details. People spend months or even years just on like one small aspect of it 
like the magic bullet theory, where they say that a bullet would have had to change direction in midair to create the wounds, which is fairly easily demonstrably false. And yet it's still a belief that lots and lots of people, millions of people think that this is evidence. It's very, very hard once a claim like that has entered into popular culture, especially if it's in a movie like the JFK movie, it's very, very hard to dissuade people of things, even if they are quite easily demonstrably false. How do you get the information to the people? What do you think the largest conspiracy theory that's ever taken hold? What do you think it is? I would say the 9-11 conspiracy theory, that 9-11 is an inside job. And there's a whole range there, but a lot of people, a lot of people think that the U.S. government or the U.S. government and the Israelis was behind 9-11 in terms of organizing the attacks, or even quite a lot of people, probably hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people, think that there were explosives inside the buildings on 9-11 and that they were brought down by explosives. So it's a very, very big conspiracy. And it's almost in a way foundational for people who believe in, in a lot of conspiracy theories, that if you believe in 9-11, that's pretty much opens the floodgates into what other conspiracy theories you can believe in. So yeah, it's a big one in terms of scale. But if you think about more banal conspiracy theories, people believe things like big pharma covering up the dangers of vaccines as a conspiracy theory that's believed by a lot of people, uh, probably more than the 9-11 conspiracy theory. So if you're counting them in terms of how many people believe it, it's probably that one. Well, the anti-vaxxers. conspiracy. Yeah. So there's conspiracies that are big in scope, and then there's ones that are big in terms of popularity. You brought up 9-11. Can you explain false flags? That's always a big one. Yeah, no, false flags are a real thing. It comes from the the idea of a a ship putting a flag on its mast that's not its own state and then performing an attack so that the enemy thinks that someone else attacks them and then they will attack that third person. So it's a way of provoking a response by pretending to have an attack. And these are things that have happened through history. So the idea with 9-11 is that 9-11 was a false flag attack that was organized by the United States government in order to make it look like Al-Qaeda was behind it so that they could attack, I guess, Afghanistan and Iraq, which kind of doesn't really make sense. They should have pretended that Iraq was behind it if they were going to do a proper false flag. But, you know, perhaps they had a broader plan. And there's, there's then how even do you like answer some... a question like, we all saw the planes fly in. Mm-hmm. So how did yeah, we... was someone a false flag? wrap their heads around that. I mean, it is proven that these guys came and trained and broke into the cockpit. Were they saying it was funded by our government kind of thing? There's a whole range of possible interpretations of it. Like even though we saw the planes fly into the building, some people actually think that planes didn't fly into the building. It's a very, very extreme conspiracy theory. Like they think either all the footage that you see on TV was faked and somehow all the people in Manhattan didn't actually see this happen. Or they think that it was something like a fake plane flew into the building, like a a cruise missile that was shaped like a plane, or they think it was some kind of hologram. But these are kind of ridiculous theories that are kind of on the fringe. The more banal false flag theory would be that secret CIA agents infiltrated Al-Qaeda and arranged for Al-Qaeda to attack America so that we could then attack Al-Qaeda and, by extension, attack various other countries in the Middle East. So there's a a, a variety. I heard a conspiracy theory 
that also pertains to 9-11, which is another building, not the Fed building, but another building was at the same time purposely broken into and all sorts of files were taken. And yeah, it's that one always sort of says to me, like, really? Like people were like, you couldn't have gotten there. Well, it just seems to yeah. me that the common denominator in a lot of these theories is a crazy huge, is crazy. A huge <laughs> distrust for our government. Yeah. Yeah, indeed. So that you want to blame the government. So you want to ascribe the problems of the world to somebody that you can focus on, like the bad person. Mm-hmm. You know, people don't like it when there's a disproportionate cause for a really, really big action. So if you have what they describe as Arabs in caves performing the attacks, they don't think that's big enough. Whereas they see the government as being this big, evil empire type thing. And they think, oh, it must have been the evil empire. How could it have been the Arabs in caves? So it's both a distrust and a desire to have the big bad guy being behind everything. Which kind of brings us to COVID and coronavirus. Yes, yes. that's uh, <laughs> The new hotness in conspiracy theories is obviously the coronavirus. And there's so many conspiracies uh, going out around the conference. Yeah, 5G. I mean, that's one of the crazier ones. And yet it's surprisingly common. I think what happened there was like people were already very suspicious about 5G. Well, can you explain like 5G mean? Yeah. Yeah, phone service. 5G is just basically the next generation of cell phones. Right. But because people have always been scared of cell phones like being damaging to us because it's radiation, the new ones, because they're, they're different, the higher frequency and whatnot, they think they are going to be damaging to your health. So there's lots of people who think that there's problems with 5G. It's a very, very common thing. It's not an extreme conspiracy at all. But then there's this weird leap where you go from like 5G may increase your risk of cancer to 5G causes coronavirus, which it has no scientific basis whatsoever. And it's fairly easily debunked just by noting that there's countries that don't have any 5G at all, like Iran which have been quite badly hit by the coronavirus. And Italy, which had one of the worst initial outbreaks, has very, very limited 5G installations. But Switzerland right next door has about 20 times as much 5G, but about one-tenth the amount of coronavirus. So really there's no correlation. It's fairly easily debunked. But again, these things don't just go away just because you give people the explanations. Because three of the biggest virus hunters have said not only is it not 5G, it was not created in a lab. Yeah. And they're saying it is from animals. It was from bats, but something from the bat went on to another mm-hmm. animal. Right. Yeah, you can look at the DNA and you can kind of trace back in the same way you can trace back your family uh, history through DNA. You can trace back the ancestors of the virus and it directly relates to a bat virus that was known. So the scientists don't think that it was engineered in a lab. Are all these conspiracy theories mostly in the U.S.? I feel like we have a really, really big group of conspiracy theorists. Yeah, the the U.S. does have a strong tradition of political conspiracy theories. It's something that's been going on in the U.S. for a long time. There was actually a political party in the U.S. that was called the Anti-Mason Party, which was based on the idea that Freemasons were going to take over the country. And the anti-Mason party was actually fairly significant for a few years back in American political history. They had the first party political convention. So yes, 
America does have a very strong tradition of conspiracy theories, but it's not at all unique. If you go to the UK, they have the equivalent of 9-11 in the UK is the 7-7 attacks, which happened on the 7th of July, one year where they blew up a bunch of public transport in the UK, killing a lot of people. And they have lots of similar conspiracy theories about that. And other countries have conspiracy theories. Uh, China has the conspiracy theory that the United States introduced the coronavirus to China. <laughs> so we're doing uh, a point, everyone's pointing yeah. at each other. Well, that's what yeah. really happens. People point the finger at someone else. Like he said earlier, you know, the need to, the big, bad, evil giant, you know, mm-hmm. you know, that whole association. Yeah. So you have kind of a symmetry because you have people in the United States saying, oh, China is responsible for this. And you have people in China saying the U.S. is responsible for this. But you've probably also got people in China saying that the Chinese government was responsible for it. You know, Chinese dissidents, it's a bit harder, obviously, to criticize the government in China. But you do have the same things going on in other countries. Which there's been a lot of talk of QAnon taking root again. Yeah, QAnon. QAnon is this weird belief that uh, there's this secret movement in the United States, upper levels of the government, headed by Donald Trump and possibly some military figures that are trying to root out the evil in the government, which is linked into this whole weird thing with uh, child sex rings and all kinds of strange things. But yeah, it's kind of come back with the coronavirus because they think that that's all part of the plot somehow, or that it is an attempt to discredit Trump. If you talk to different people, you're going to get different interpretations of what's actually going on. Well, there was the guy that actually showed up at that pizza place that they claimed Hillary Clinton was running a child sex ring out of, and he walked in with a gun, broke into the back room, and found supplies. Yeah. (laughs) That was the- Pizza uh, making supplies. He had been essentially told by the QAnon people that there was a dungeon underneath this Comet Ping Pong place in the basement of Comet Ping Pong. So he went there to free the children who were being trapped in this dungeon. And when he got there, what he discovered was that building doesn't actually have a basement. Oops. Wow. There you go. Oops. Now, isn't QAnon also, though, part of that group that believes there's this secret, which we started to mention, cabal of world leaders that run everything? Or what is that one called? Yeah, well, that would be the, the Illuminati. Illuminati. Uh, I was very with it's, Illuminati. Yeah, or sometimes just the New World Order. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the most timeless conspiracy theory ever. So there's an elite group of evil people who control the world by making all the decisions about everything that's going to happen. So every time there's a war, it was caused deliberately by these people. Like Pearl Harbor was orchestrated by the Rothschilds bankers so that they could actually make money from the war. This type of conspiracy theory has been around since ancient time. People in Roman times used to talk about conspiracy theories just like this. Now it's all about the New World Order, how they're trying to change the world and shape it to be what they want it to be. And some people think this involves things like population reduction. They think they want to cull 90% of the population and turn certain parts of the world into nature reserves so the elite can go and have safaris in them. There's lots of very strange ideas around this. What is the first known conspiracy theory in history that you're aware of? <laughs> That's kind of a tricky one, really, because you probably have to go back into ancient Egyptian manuscripts. There's one in the Bible, which is obviously like 2,000 years ago, 
there was the resurrection. And in the Bible, they say, don't trust people who will come and tell you that his disciples went in and took the body. So in the Bible, they actually give what the official story is, that the disciples went in and took the body and said that this is what actually happened, that he actually, you know, he rose from the dead. So it's very interesting that there's this acknowledgement in the Bible that there's going to be conflicting narratives around any significant event. And they realized, whoever wrote the Bible, that people were going to point out that this was a likely story. And so they tried to preempt it by having somebody like an angel or somebody saying, don't trust these people. So conspiracy theories are not particularly novel in history. They have been going on for a very, very long time, just like pseudoscience or uh, fake medicine and things like that. There were people who were working against pseudo-medicine back in Roman times, back over 2,000 years ago, where there were people selling fake remedies for things. And then other people were writing notices saying, don't trust this guy, he's selling snake oil. And this was 2,000 years ago. Let's get on to one of our favorite topics in a general sense, UFOs. So a couple of weeks right. ago, we had on a sleep specialist. And we talked about sleep paralysis and night mm-hmm. terrors and all that. And he thinks that a lot of people who have claimed they've been abducted and all these things, it really happened during that strange sleep paralysis state where you yeah. literally believe that these things have happened. I mean, yeah, I don't even know where definitely. to start with UFOs. Let's start with abductions. <laughs> Well, I think the explanation holds a lot of water and makes a lot of sense uh, for two reasons. The first one is that I myself have had experiences of sleep paralysis. For a while in my life, I would have these experiences where I would wake up, I would look up at the ceiling, and I would see this giant spider coming down towards me, and this spider would just descend towards me. I would leap up, get out of bed, I'd fight off this spider, and then I would kind of gradually return to my senses. And, you know, I realized that it, it was just essentially a dream, but it seemed so real. It seemed like the spider was in the room. And I can very easily imagine someone having a more involved version of that where they don't necessarily wake up because it's not that scary. And they believe these things actually happened. The second reason I think this is the likely explanation is just that there's no video of these things happening. It's really easy for someone to put a video camera in their room, and a lot of people have it with like children and nanny cams and things like that. Um, And internet porn. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But there's no video of this actually happening. If people were actually being physically abducted by aliens from their beds on a regular basis, some people say it's happening to hundreds of thousands of people a year, then it would be so easy to get a video of it. There's no video, which I think really indicates that it's not happening. Well, what about all these photos? And a bunch of photos just came out, and I read on your website that these are old photos. Are they all doctored? Or are they all just no. random happenstance? I don't know. They're not doctored. I, the ones that are coming out recently are actually videos by the U.S. Navy, and these have been officially released, and they're videos that the Navy released of UFOs, the unidentified the, flying objects. And isn't that the one with also the video of the pilots all saying, what the hell is that? Yeah. And I've never seen yeah. anything like it. 
Yeah, the three videos that came out. And they came out about two years ago. Yeah. And it's kind of the fun type of thing that I like to look into because it directly relates to my video game experience because it's all kind of like, you know, 3D graphics and trigonometry and things like that. So it's a fun thing for me to get my teeth into. So I did like about two years ago and I figured out more or less what these things probably are. And I think they're probably just boring things like planes and balloons and things like that. And there's a variety of factors that make them look interesting, but they're not actually that interesting. So I've been putting out these videos for a while on my YouTube channel. And they're kind of taking hold now, I think, because people are starting to, to pay attention to what I'm saying and uh, seeing that perhaps these aren't really interesting videos after all. So the conversation between the pilots, I mean, that came out, what, like two years ago? It's just they were looking, going, what the hell is that? And just couldn't identify yeah. it? Yeah, because the, there's a couple of things. One of them, there's a very bright blob on the camera. It looks like it's black because the image is inverted, but it's actually a very bright thing. And it's just the heat of the engines creating a glare. And they couldn't tell what it was. And it looks like it's rotating because of the camera rotating. The other one is something that looks like it's going really, really fast but it's kind of a bit of an optical illusion because they didn't actually realize that it wasn't down by the water. It was halfway towards them. When you look at the video, it looks like an amazing thing. Right. And in the 45 seconds, the actual length of the video, they didn't realize what it was either. So they're going, wait, what the heck is that? And that's really all there is to it. It's not really that interesting a video when you actually analyze it. It's not actually going that fast. And the other thing is probably just a glare. And then the third one is probably just a distant plane. But then you've got all these eyewitness accounts as well. You've got this pilot, Commander David Fravor, who talks about seeing this object like ping-ponging around. You know, I don't really know what that is. So there are unexplained things out there. What about Area 51, Roswell? And I mean, that's one of the great yeah. UFO theories. Well, Roswell, I think, is pretty well explained. Roswell at the time, you know, there was this supposed crash of a UFO, a flying saucer. And the newspapers reported on it and the military like kind of clamped down a little bit on terms of secrecy. But what it ended up being, or at least what the official story is, which seems quite plausible, is that it was just a balloon that they were using for a secret program to measure atomic explosions in the atmosphere. So if the Russians let off a bomb somewhere, they would be able to hear it by these sensitive microphones they, were, they had. And it was top secret. So they had to cover it up you know, what happened when this balloon crashed. Area 51, it's a place where they test planes. It's secret. See, this is the problem with a lot of this UFO stuff. You start investigating it, and at some point you hit a wall of secrecy because the military classifies pretty much everything by default. Even if it's unclassified, they won't release it without going through some process of public release. So you're going to have this wall that you can't get through, and there's all this stuff going on the other side, which is probably pretty boring stuff, like they're just testing a new stealth fighter or something like that but it allows people to project things like aliens into that space, that uh, secret, mysterious space on the other side of the wall of secrecy. So no alien bodies stashed? Not that I know of, no. <laughs> and uh, yeah, there's been like fake autopsy videos and things like that. Uh, people give these photographs that turn out to be fake and people give eyewitness accounts. Some of that's maybe they saw something and didn't realize what it was. Maybe they're making things up. It's hard to say, but we don't have any very good evidence. And you kind of think if aliens were here visiting us, it would be a pretty hard thing to keep secret, really. Well, we'll be back with more with Mick West. Welcome back. We are continuing our conversation with Mick West. 
What do you think is the most dangerous conspiracy theory? Because some of them are very dangerous. Yeah, no, I think probably the most dangerous one, especially right now, is the anti-vax conspiracy theory. People promoting the idea that vaccines are actually harmful and that the government knows this and is covering it up is a very dangerous conspiracy because a lot of people believe this. Lots of very reasonable people believe this because lots of people are concerned about their health. And it's very easy to kind of get the idea that you shouldn't put certain things into your body and they'll tell you things like, you know, it contains mercury or something like that or that it causes autism. Yeah, obviously, when you start raising specters like that, it's very easy to fall into that belief. I have a lot of friends who are mm. big anti-vaxxers and they are always sending videos and there was a film and there were all these things. Now, when I had my son, it was sort of the beginning of this very vocal anti-vaxxer movement. And I loved my pediatrician. She was very logical. And I obviously asked her and her thing was, there's no scientific proof. There are these theories. So you know what? I'm just going to spread out Cooper's shots just to do it and do it in her opinion properly. And knock on wood, there's no problems with my son. But these anti-vaxxers, I feel, are dangerous in the sense that they're bringing back a lot of eradicated diseases. Yeah, absolutely. The measles, for example, there's been a bunch of outbreaks of measles. And there's some diseases that were completely eradicated, like smallpox, which hopefully would not come back. But if it does exist somewhere, we've kind of lost the herd immunity to that now because we don't vaccinate the smallpox anymore because it's gone. I think also it's not just simply the practical problems of not vaccinating. It's the mindset that you get from that. If you get to the idea that you don't trust the government on vaccines, then you might not trust the government on social distancing. And we see people now going to protests against the coronavirus restrictions, and they're going to big gatherings and they're standing close to each other and they're not wearing masks. That's a very dangerous situation. And we've seen this earlier with churches. A lot of church leaders are now dead because they held services. It's in the scores, I think, now of actual uh, ministers who have died because they actually held services and people within the parish and their congregation got sick and died because they didn't trust what the government was saying about public health. And it's a very dangerous thing. And the anti-vaccine thing uh, in some ways can be very harmless for an individual if you do or don't vaccinate your child against things. You're protected anyway because of herd immunity because most other people are vaccinated. But now you get to a really serious situation where nobody's vaccinated for coronavirus. But if you're not trusting what the government's telling you to do, then you're going to be just going off willy-nilly and going to the restaurant and uh, going to church and then ending up dead. Now a question for you. What do you think about artificial intelligence being a game developer and all? That's a big question. I think that long-term, artificial intelligence will be more intelligent than humans. And I think it's an inevitability that the robots will take over at some point in human history. Yeah, I I don't think it's going to be anytime soon. But if you look at the rapid increase that we've had over the last, say, 10, 20 years, it wouldn't be surprised me if we have robots that are as intelligent as you and I in the next 10, 20 years in the future. So we could actually be able to have a conversation like this, probably with synthesized video 
they would look like me or you uh, very, very soon. And I think there is actually a danger with AI. I think there's a potential problem where uh, if the robots get more intelligent than us, are they going to take over the world? It sounds like a ridiculous science fiction thing, but I think it is a very real issue. I mean, don't you think the biggest problem with that is they don't see gray or emotions or understand how emotions make does they, help make de- you decisions. You and I don't feel emotions like that on a regular day. So we had nothing like that. We don't we don't ride the roller coaster of emotions in our house. <laughs> <laughs> we go from sobbing to screaming with laughter to you know. Yeah. None of us ride that train. Robots though, computers could be programmed to act as if they have emotions. So they could act as if they are responding. They would figure out what would a human think in this situation? And shall I pretend to do that or not if it furthers my goals? So you've essentially got the ultimate sociopath, the ultimate psychopath who doesn't really have emotions, doesn't really have cares for other people, but just calculating what to do and pretending to be a regular person. And that could be quite a dangerous thing. It could be quite a dangerous thing for conspiracy theorists as well. Because I think it will happen pretty soon that you will get these kind of chatbots that you can't tell are robots. And if you've got all these chatbots, could be millions of them, interacting with people on social media, you could actually have an effect where you start persuading people that certain things are true by having one-on-one conversations with them, which is actually the robot having one-on-one conversations. But because a robot can replicate itself millions of times, it's this incredible force multiplier for getting disinformation out there. And I think there's probably going to be something of an arms race in that arena over the next uh, five, 10 years. How do we survive it? We keep in the race, I think, is how we survive it. There's lots of people looking at the problems like this, disinformation, what do we do about disinformation? And AI is going to be an obvious part of the problem and it's going to be a part of the solution. So we have to keep working on AI to help us identify disinformation and AI to help us identify the bad AI and to counter it. And we're going to have to put measures in place. We're going to have to do things like if you have a social media account, you're going to have to prove that you are actually a real person one way or another. We can't have some kind of bot in Russia signing up scores of accounts and then flooding certain message boards with it. You've got to actually prove that you're a real person. That's something you're starting to see. You get verification now for Facebook accounts that do political ads. But I think increasingly you'll have more of that where you will have to verify your Twitter account is a real person, your Facebook account is a real person, Instagram is a real person. So when I have to click that box, it says, I'm not a robot. It's really the sign of the times. Is that that's what you're saying? <laughs> it is, it is. But I think it's going to have to get a little bit more complicated than that because clicking a box is probably something that robots are going to be able to do uh, <laughs> and probably have been able to do for the last uh, 10 years. Mick, I cannot tell you, I could seriously can continue this on conversation on. forever. We thank you so much for joining us. It has been fascinating and promise me you're going to come back. Oh, I certainly will. It's been a very interesting conversation. Nice range of topics. There you go. It's been amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Melissa Rivers, and this has been Group Text.